0: Hey, you're listening to the Upper Room Podcast. To learn more about Upper Room, please visit URDallas.com. Would you open your Bibles with me to 2 Samuel chapter 21, and we're going to look into a story, an incident that happened in the life of King David. Now, how many of you are familiar with the name David in the Bible? Can I see some hands? Awesome. Again, about 40% people are familiar. Thank God. Well, <laughs> my name comes from his name. So I started looking into his life, knowing, okay, if my parents named my name Joshua David, I need to know this guy because after his name and after Joshua's name, my name was taken. And I was thoroughly blessed to know certain things about their lives. And I want to share those things with you today. As I was looking into the scripture. I saw that David was a man who rose up for an occasion and killed a giant called Goliath. You remember in 1 Samuel chapter 17, that great combat between two um, nations, like, but you know, Goliath came intimidating the armies of Israel. And even though there were great men in the army of Israel, nobody had guts to face this giant Goliath. And they were so scared to face this giant. But David just comes there out of nowhere. No experience how to fight with the army, zero experience of getting into a compact of that kind. Now he has certain experience with a bear and a lion, but he nothing like killing a giant, whose the whole army is scared of. But yet when he sees this giant and hears him, faith comes alive in him, and the man doesn't even waste his time praying. Should I go and fight? I mean, he sees this giant and something comes alive in him saying, who is this man defiling the armies of God? I mean, that man was not even speaking to David. He was talking about the armies, but David got so upset because he was talking to the armies of the living God. And David got so upset. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that is defiling the armies of the living God? So his emphasis was not about army, but it was about, hey buddy, who do you think you are to mock my living God? And that faith arose in him and he said, forget about it. I'm going to teach him a lesson. He goes, take five stones. And by the end of this message, I think you will know my understanding about why five stones. So he takes up five stones, goes, and with one stone, he kills him. First stone. It wasn't a hard battle at all. It looked like the easiest deal. It's like you're coming with a javelin and that's the first time when the gun shot or bullet shot was invented, I think. Because that guy knew the weak spot of the enemy. He was covered all over with a great armor. Nothing could penetrate. But you know what? A man of faith knows how to hit on the weakest spot of the enemy. And it's amazing that one shot brings that giant down. He takes the sword of giant and kills and makes a name for himself in the armies of Israel. And so we see that King promotes him, King Saul promotes him, and then there is this, this trajectory of promotion after promotion in this man's life. Although there are certain incidences where enemies chase him, sometimes friends are chasing him, sometimes Israel is changing, chasing Saul, King Saul is chasing him. But in all of those battles, you don't find David weak, do you? You don't find him. You see him going from glory to glory, from strength to strength, from victory to victory. And every time he, in in his battles, he has championed something. And he makes amazing claims in the scriptures talking about, Oh Lord, you have taught my fingers how to fight battles. Oh Lord, by you I can leap over a wall, I can run over a troop. He says, By this I know that my enemy that you are well pleased with me, because my enemy never overpowers me. He makes all these great claims about himself and what Lord has done in him and through him. And it's amazing. After making all of those claims, when David fought Goliath, he was all alone, one man exercising his personal faith. There was no team around him. And it reminds me that God always picks up an individual. He says in Isaiah, he says, Look to your father Abraham. When I called him, he was alone. Then I blessed him and he became many. Listen, my friends, God never calls many. God calls individuals. He calls few and then blesses them and makes them many. Do you remember when when, when enemies would come and Gideon was in the farmland? trying to hide his, uh, his harvest. God didn't go knocking every door and saying, who is on my side, come, let's make a team. No, he found an individual. And to that individual, he manifested his plans, came into a covenant with him, and then as a result of that, Gideon becomes a mighty man of valor. When God looked at him and said, you mighty man, Although his circumstances didn't tell that, but God called him into his destiny by speaking, you mighty man. Yeah. And listen, how many of you know that God never calls you from your past, he calls you from your future? Oh, it's very, very important that world, world calls you from your past, world will call you names on your, what you have done, where you have been. They looked at Jesus and said, we know him, he's son of, J- De- his son of Joseph. His father is a carpenter. We know he's from Nazareth. We know nothing good comes from Nazareth. So people have tendency to call you from your past, to call you from your roots, to call you from where you are. But my God, whom I serve, never looks at your past and calls you. He looks at his heart and he looks at your heart and he calls you into his plan. Hallelujah. Oh, he looked at Jonathan and he said, oh, Jonathan didn't even, I mean, Jonathan is a crazy guy in the Bible. His father is king, who is not doing anything, sitting down, waiting on I don't know what. But Jonathan got so, so, I mean, so irritated with his father's attitude that he decided, I'm not going to tell to my daddy. And he tells his armor bearer, and he says, hey buddy, let's go up in the camp of enemy. Let's go up and see what God can do. He can give victory through many or few." And it's funny, his armor bearer, if I was his armor bearer, I would say, Jonathan, did you have a dream last night? Did angel come? No. He said, buddy, when I read scripture, if angel comes and shows things happen, Jacob had angelic visitation, his life changed. Joseph had angelic visitation, his life changed. Mary had angelic visitation, although, you know, Mary and they all were after that, but I'm just paraphrasing it for you from the whole scripture that whenever angel came and met, things changed. Angel came and met Gideon, things changed. Jonathan, did any angel ever come and met you? No. Okay. Tell me, Jonathan, did anybody come and prophesy over you? Like before your birth, like Samson was prophesied before he was born. Was there any reference to you that what you would do in the kingdom? I don't think so. My parents never told me any prophecy about me. Yeah, I know. Samuel the prophet came. He prophesied for my dad. He became king. And that guy came and prophesied for my friend, David. I just listened to what prophecies goes on in other people's life. I'm still waiting for my prophecy. He said, that Jonathan, buddy, Your time is not yet. Don't you think? I mean, there has to be some foundation to what you want to believe and do. Jonathan says, no, I don't have anybody, any reference point for prophecy. He says, okay, Jonathan, tell me one thing. You don't have a dream. You don't have any prophecy. Did you have an encounter with the Lord? Like, did God appear to you, like to Abraham? Did you hear an audible voice like Samuel heard? Is there some spiritual experience on which you are basing your future? The answer is no. Said Jonathan, you're horribly mistaken. Why are you risking your life? Because I believe Jonathan had a revelation of the character of God. And people, those who know the character of their God, can take chances. If people who know the character of their God, they can take chances. They can be that like Shadrat Meshik and Abednego, saying, "Okay, oh, our King can, sa- our God can save us from this fire." Okay, hold on. What's your reference point? Did you ever see anybody, any God in the past saving anybody from, from Adam till now? Is there any reference that God saved anybody from fire? You say, hey, buddy, I want you to know I don't need reference from past because I have learned the nature of my God. He doesn't look at past and calls for future. So I will look to God and not look to his past doing and call for the future. Why? Because we have the same DNA. And if I know my God, therefore, Bible says, those who know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Yeah. That's what Daniel made a claim on in Daniel 11:32. 32. He said, if you know your God, you will be strong. Yeah. When? When hardships arrive, you will be strong and do exploits. It's amazing what God can do. So I want to lay a foundation for you to know that God always honors individual above crowds. When it comes to make covenant, he doesn't make covenants with crowds. He makes covenant with individual and then blesses that person. And and crowds follow that person on whom God has bestowed his covenant upon. I want you to realize ministries are the result of the covenant you have with the Lord they are the outward expression of the inward agreement with the Holy Spirit that you have on the inside of you. Wow. Let not circumstances define the expression because people would like to come and label it. Yeah. But actually labels mean nothing to the man of God who is in covenant. Right. Wow. Because he knows one thing, he's like David. Because he was in covenant, he, he understood some things. And it was nothing about the labels <laughs> It was about the covenant. But sometimes in life, even though you understand the covenant, even though you walk with things, even though you have been believing God, even though you have experiencing victories, even though you are seeing great and glorious things that no one in the history has perhaps seen, in the midst of those things, it strangely, it occurs to me that God doesn't give you victory by yourself in everything that you're involved in. That there are certain battles in your life that your anointing is able to give you a breakthrough. But there are certain battles in your life when you need an external help. And God will bring a brother alongside. God will bring a sister alongside. And that is whole purpose of the church that we don't neglect the fellowship of the brethren. Why? Because with brothers together, you can see victories in the life that you individual can never, no matter how powerfully anointed you are and this story helps us to see that in clear perspective let's come to second samuel chapter 21 verse number 15 onwards this is what i love about the scripture if we can have it on the screen i'm reading from new king james version and we're going to read it so that we all are on the same page with it when the philistines were at war again with israel david and his servants were with him uh, david and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines, But look at what happens to David. What does the Bible say? And David grew tired or faint or exhausted. Then what happens? When David started becoming exhausted, something happens. And Ishbi Binob, can you say that name? See, if you don't have gift of tongues, say this name ten times and somebody will <laughs> think you are in gift of tongues. <laughs> So at least I've given you a formula how to fake to being in tongues. Not every word that comes out actually is the gift of tongues. Sometimes you're naming giants. Look at what it says. (laughs) Then Ishpibinob, who was one of the sons of the giant, the weight of his bronze spear was 300 shekels and was bearing a new sword thought he would kill, he would kill David. David. My question, giant, why are you after one man in the whole battle? Because the giant knows God is after one man in the whole crowd. So his attack strategy is never about the crowd. He says, if I can have that man with whom God is making an agreement or a covenant, I can pull everything down. That's why he tempted Jesus so hard. That is why we need to understand that when you obtain the covenant, there is a responsibility that church has towards that man who obtains the covenant of the Lord. That's why the nation has a responsibility to stand with that man who obtains the covenant of the Lord. Why? Because when you obtain the covenant of the Lord, guess what? Enemy will pull his trigger on you. Enemy is not scared of the people who don't have covenant with the Lord. He is scared of the people who walk in the covenant with the Lord. Enemy is not scared when the churches are full. He is scared when people walk in and enter into the covenant with the Lord. Because that's where he loses his ground. that's it is a good show where people show up, enjoy the performance and go back home. And come back again to enjoy another entertainment line. There's no difference between church and a secular club if people don't understand the covenant. Just turn to your neighbor and say, if you didn't understand Indian accent, it's time to you to understand American accent. And tell him the same thing. (laughs) Would you repeat this after me? Look at your neighbor, right close, smile and say, hey, do you know this? There's no difference between church and a secular club if people sitting here or you don't understand the covenant that God made concerning you. What makes church more than a social gathering? What makes church more than a religious gathering? What makes church heaven on earth is the covenant God made with Jesus. We are the beneficiary of the covenant that Father and Jesus came in agreement with. It's no different. Like my children live of the covenant that I and my wife are in. They don't have to labor for the covenant. We came in the covenant. They enjoy the benefits of it. So is with the church. Jesus and Father came into the covenant. We get the spoils. Hallelujah. It's like Jesus makes an FD and I am the beneficiary. So are you, the beneficiary. I pray that God will open our eyes of understanding to understand covenant. God makes covenant with individuals. And today morning, it's your time because God is looking for you and saying, I want to come into covenant with you. It's so good. So when I look into this scripture, it tells me that Ishbi Binob, who was one of the sons of giants his line of attack or his purpose to come into the battlefield was not to defeat Israel. His purpose, giant's purpose to come into the battlefield was one man. Do you see that? Do you see that? Who was that one man? Can you tell me why? Because he had a covenant with God. And he knew, if I can slow him down, if I can discourage him, if I can make him quit the the. The work that he's called to, I can put a full stop to the move of God. You know why? Because God is not interested in the movements of man. Can I, can I be very honest with you because this is my family? And I hope that nobody gets offended at Indian accent. <laughs> okay, I want you to understand this. We get attracted to the church. And when the church becomes a movement, it is even more glamorous. And the people from all across the world would come and travel to see. And that's what is pilgrimage all about. Why do Muslims go to Mecca and Medina? Because they think their God moves there. Why do many people go to the Holy Land? Because they think their God is there. And why do people come to Upper Room? Because some think that God is here. My friends, can I be candid with you? It's not about the house. It's about the man with whom God makes covenant. God doesn't show up here because you have got fantastic lightings and screen. And God is not interested in our YouTube broadcast because he needs to be famous. Listen, my friend, he shows up because there are people here who are in covenant with him. And he says, wherever you go, I will go with you. It doesn't matter. It's on that confidence Robbie is going to Pakistan, the third most dangerous place. But they don't know the dangerous one is coming there. Why? Yeah. They don't know why. Because because the covenant says, the covenant says greater is he who is In in you than the one who is in the world. So man, even if it was the first most dangerous thing, we are still more lethal than that. Hallelujah. And it's amazing to see when people walk in that covenant with the Lord. But it is tragic to see that people come and watch the fruits of the covenant of the individuals. And then brag about it. I'm part of that fruit. And not really have the covenant individually. It's like you're eating out of trash. When God is inviting you at a banqueting table. Don't go pulling out to the thrash bag and eat from the leftovers when God is calling you to sit with him on the table. It's so important. It's so important. Covenant causes lame people and bring them on the table. You know, Saul had one son and that guy was paralyzed. Couldn't walk. And because David had covenant with Jonathan, he brings his son on the table and he says, you're going to sit with me and have this and be like one of my sons. But the guy loved the table more than the master who brought him on the table. And so when right time he thought that was right time, he said, my God he's going to give me my kingdom back, my father's kingdom. So he rejected David and walked after the kingdom. I tell you one thing, he lost his destiny. I pray no one in this room will be more attracted to upper room. That's not the substance, that's the shadow. The substance is covenant with Lord Jesus Christ. Run for the substance. Don't try to hold the shadow. You know, I've seen some people really bragging about, I'm part of upper room. In India, people come. oh, you are part of upper room? Man, they're more excited about you're part of upper room than I am Jesus. I belong to Jesus. That I'm born again. Buddy, I tell you, upper room is good. But it's a shadow of what Jesus is doing on inside. And we need to come to the substance. Come to the roots so that fruits will continue. Why do revival moments die? They die because people hold on to shadow and forsake the real substance. It is the covenant with the Lord. And Michael and Lorisa obtained the covenant. And today, everything that is happening globally is not based on what we are doing right or what we are not doing right. It is based on what covenant God made with this couple. It's just God is faithful to fulfill. God said to Abraham, You will be father of nation even before first son was born. Israel, you can say that we are prosperous today, but sorry, brothers. You are prosperous today because one man obtained the covenant with the most high God. And you reap of the harvest of his labor, his walk with God. As church reaps the harvest of Jesus' labor, his walk with, his father, his obedience, his righteousness that comes to us as a gift. And we Mm -hmm. just enjoy the benefits of the cross. His death, his burial, his resurrection sets us on high. It's not my works. And that's what grace is. Grace is enjoying the favor of God at the expense of Christ. Isn't it amazing? I believe that is what is important for us to understand. But our problem sometimes in the church is a little different. I'm going to expose a little bit about our heart issue. But let's look at the story. Can we come back to 2 Samuel chapter 21? And Ishbibinov thought that he can kill David now. And when he thought that he can kill David, something happens in verse number 17. But Abishai, the son of zuraiah came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. Wow, think about it. First time when David killed Goliath, there was no brothers with him on the battlefield. It was one-on-one combat, remember? But this time, it is not one-on-one combat. It's not David and giant alone on a solo match. But listen carefully. This time, two armies, armies of Israel and the armies of Philistines are battling together. So I'm supposing that Abisha is not someone waiting on the moves of David and analyzing He's someone engaged in the battle with his sword somewhere closer to David. And he's fighting his opponents. He's fighting his opposition. He's fighting his problems. But in midst of his problems, this man has a heart to look at what's going on in his leader's heart. Or what's going on in his leader's life. And it's amazing that his love for his brother is so compelling that he can stop fighting his own battle and help kill someone's giant in midst of his battles church, God is calling us to a higher standard of living. What is higher standard of living? Higher standard of living is not this, that I am in the game for my sake. High standard of living calls us that I come into game for someone else's sake. That I am fighting someone else's battle. That I am the reason today you might have come on the church, in the church and sitting there, I need from God something. But do you know that God's Plan for your life is not just to answer your prayer, but to turn you into an answer for someone's prayer. That God calls you to become an answer to someone's prayer And someone who is in need and in hurt And can't believe the way you can Then God raises you up in midst of your problem So that you can be the light unto that person That you can be a help unto that person That you can speak comfort to that person And even in the midst of your problems But enemy will tell you always and say Hey, if you are facing this problem You are disqualified to fight someone else's battle First you are First win your battle, then you're qualified. That's a lie of enemy. That's right. Let me tell you, God never uses a perfect vessel. Right. And God doesn't need a perfect vessel. He can use a crackpot like me and bless nations. Amen. And my house is not in order. My name is David. What can I do? Come with me for a second to 2 Samuel 23, verse number 5. I want to show you something. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse number 5. How many ministers are here? Can I see your hands, please? Man, this verse I really want to dedicate to you. As much as I want to dedicate to the word. Look at this. Although my house was or is. Does that look like present continuous tense? Yes. Although my house is not so with God. Whoa. That's a bad place to be in. Yes or no? Yes or no? Yeah. That means, man, I am drifted away, God. Although my house is not with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant. Listen carefully. God doesn't look at church and decides to be favorable to Miller. He doesn't look at how upper room is doing and decides to be with favorable with him. God says, "It doesn't matter what the church is doing. I am still in covenant with you. It doesn't matter what world is doing. I'm still in covenant with you. And it is through that covenant things change.) Most chaotic houses will become most beautiful once the covenant is activated. See, it's so beautiful that God was not considering the messiness of the house and deciding whether he should continue with his covenant or no. With an everlasting, what does everlasting means? What does everlasting means? So, if there is anybody in the church who thinks they are doing a favor to the church and Miller's ministry is growing because they are part of it, you are wrong, buddy. This ministry is not going because you showed up. This ministry is going because Jesus showed up. And I'm going to brag in my weakness because he is good. That's what Paul did. He wasn't ashamed of his weakness. And let the world think what they want to think. It doesn't matter. Some of the apostles didn't even think he was an apostle. And so he talks to the church in Corinth. Man, to others I may not be. But to you I am definitely. And there is this struggle and driving. I am your pastor. I am your super. I am we, we, we. But listen. In midst of all of this thing. The guy writes up more revelation of Christ. Than most of the people who walked with him is the fruit of the covenant. Never allow your present or surrounding to tell you or dilute your purpose or your vision about the covenant you have made with God. In my life, I have come to some, so many places, so many valleys, so many defeated moments, so many times I've failed miserably, hopelessly, and everybody questioned my life, my walk, my prayer. Everything was in question. And in the midst of all of those hardships, I knew God was in covenant with me. And it's because of that knowledge of that you are in covenant and you're faithful. Yes, my messiness is great, but your love is greater. And every time I came into that knowledge of your love, I had power of God raise me up above my problems. And set me on high. That's why I could boldly declare, you have anointed me that like a wild ox. You have lifted my head, oh Lord. And I can run over my enemy again, even when my house is in mess. Why? Because the order of my house is not the confidence of my covenant. Love of Christ is the confidence of my covenant. Even not my ability to walk with God is the foundation of my my covenant with the Lord. Is the ability that Jesus had with Father. That is the foundation of my benefit in the covenant. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Isaiah 42 tells it so beautifully. Isaiah 43 actually explains about the blessing. He says, Fear not if you walk through the waters, you will not drown. You walk through the fire, you will not be, you know, you will not be burned. But if you back a little bit of that, why it will be with you like this? The Bible says, Because God put all of His fury on this individual, on him. It's so good. Let me just go there and show you. Are you okay with me here? You're doing good with Indian? Praise God. Because in heaven. You don't have a choice. Fall in love with Indians. Because in heaven will be more. (laughs) Okay, I want to show you something. Come with me to Isaiah 42, verse number 21 onwards. The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. Remember, Lord is not well pleased for my righteousness sake. For... His, Every time you read this his, Isaiah is calling future into his present. That is, he's calling Jesus into him. You remember how God calls things into perspective? He doesn't look at past and calls things. He looks at future and calls them as if it was now. Yeah, so this is what is happening. Isaiah is transported in the knowledge of Christ and he is looking in this gap in the midst and thick of law and institution. And from there, he's saying, holy God is doing something amazing. He is well pleased for his, not theirs, for his. Not public, for this individual, who is this ill? His, we will discover it in a moment. God shows him Jesus. Then what God shows him, he will exalt the law and make it honorable. Wow. God, he should exalt the grace and make it honorable. But what is he doing? Exalt the law and make it more honorable. You know why? Because grace is a superior law. I want you to understand that he's gonna exalt this new law. He's gonna exalt, he's gonna bring, we call it covenant. He called it law and see what it says. He's gonna make it honorable, next verse. But this is the people rebuked and plundered. All of them are snared in holes and they are hidden in prison houses. They are the prey and no one delivers for plunder and no one says restore. Now he's talking about people. He's saying, listen, these are people hopelessly given to misery and no one even says restore. Nobody believes for restoration. But even in the midst of this chaos of Israel, something happens. God is well pleased at his righteousness. In midst of the problem, God is well pleased at his. So here God is looking at the misery of a nation, but he is not sorrowful about what misery is doing there. He is excited about what this individual is doing here. That's Christ. And see what happens next verse. Who among you will give ear to this? Now this is what Isaiah is telling to the Israelites. And I'm telling it to you. Who among you will give ear to this? Who will listen and hear for the time to come, talking about our time, God is saying, like Isaiah is saying, who are willing to listen to time to come, that means what God is going to do in future, who is interested to know it now, and then he says something beautiful concerning us, who gave Jacob for plunder and Israel to the robbers, was it not the Lord, he against whom we have sinned, and they walked not. Walk in. They would not walk in his ways Nor were they obedient to his laws Like us Something else happens Therefore he has poured On them The fury of his anger See because they did not walk in the ways of God They did not obey his instruction God did not take them to the account For their sin But put all the anger on Him Do you see that? Isaiah is telling, hey, I want to show you how God is going to honor law. I'm going to show you by taking the sins of mankind and putting it on an individual called Christ. So see what Bible says. On him and the strength of battle, it has set him on fire all around. Yet he did not know and it burnt him. Yet he did not take it to his heart. Whoa, look at Jesus. He's suffering all these things. Not because he did something wrong, but out of his suffering, someone is going to be blessed. That's why he has this in his heart. It's okay, cross is okay for me. I'm not going to take it to my heart. But you know what? Our problem is we take it to heart and we get offended when things are not done directly beneficiary to me. And if at my expense Miller is going to be blessed, if my expense is Joel is going to be blessed, if at my expense Jose is going to be blessed, I have a problem. Because I want to work for my blessing and I don't want to be a reason for someone else's blessing. Why should I die and they live? But listen my friends, that's how servants think. Servants are only interested in their wages. As long as my work is rewarded, I am with you. But there is another mentality called stewardship. And what stewards think about, I am loyal to my mission, man. But you know what the problem with stewardship is? They're never loyal to the covenant. They're only loyal to the vision. So tomorrow if Miller decides, man, I'm going to stop this and go somewhere else, they will start judging him. And they'll say, no, 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 no. Once upon a time, he heard right, he did. We can see the fruit of it. Now God is doing something new in his life, but they won't believe it. Why? Because God can take you one day to top, Second day, he can lead you to a greatest valley. Who cares? As long as Jesus is ahead of us, let's go. Yeah, yeah. Who cares? And it's not about the trail that follows. Israel never knew that the story for 40 years has actually become a salvation story for each one of us. All they needed to do was follow the cloud. But sometimes we have a tendency to settle down. And when I look into the scripture, I begin to realize that stewardship mentality brings us and makes us faithful to the movement, but not to the covenant. We are faithful to the movement. Servants become very, very faithful to their jobs. And they do a good job stewards become great in handling movement but it is only the sons that will walk with father and there is another level that god wants to call the church it is about sons and how many of you know that malachi prophet said that elijah will come before the coming of the lord and turn the heart of the servant to the master no. steward to the vision no. sons to the father that's a covenant And so this house needs to be house of sons, not just of people who are stewarding the move of God, not just people who are serving the move of God, but sons, because sons get inheritance. And their desire is never to go ahead of their father. They will stand. That's why Bible says, he who has young sons can stand at the gate and speak to enemy." Bible never says he who has great servants can do that. Bible never says he who has great stewards can do that. But he who has sons. I pray that the spirit of sonship will be released in this house. And mighty sons of God will rise up in this place. You know why? Because Abraham took, when Lot was taken captive, Abraham took the sons who were born in his house. Even though they were servants, but if they're born in that house, they have this son mentality. And with 318 or 16 people, he defeats five kingdoms. Sons are enough to take kingdoms down. But one thing I must tell you: God will never trust His cross with a servant or a steward. He will only trust His cross with a son, because son has the DNA to carry cross. That's right. That's right. When you don't get, because cross is pain, man. And you know what? What is real cross? Dying for someone else. Not for your benefit, for someone else's benefit. And that's where the price is. And that's what he's calling us into. So Bible declares that that God was well pleased for his righteousness sake. And then he says, even though Israel was taken as a plunder, what did God do? Verse number 25. Even though Israel didn't walk in the ways of the Lord, God poured on him, meaning Jesus, the fury of his anger, the strength of the battle. It has set him on fire all around, yet he did not know it, it, and it burned him, yet he did not take it to heart. My prayer is, sons don't take offenses in heart. You would know if you're offended, that's a good checklist to know I am not a son. Because if I am a son, I will not be offended. I know how to handle offense. Only sons can afford to handle an offense. Only sons don't demand every explanation from the father, what father says. If daddy says, okay, dad, I obey. It has nothing to do with, you have to explain to me why do you do this. That's a steward mentality, servant mentality. Wow, really good, Son mentality, dad, you see, it? finished. I don't need to know why. Because I trust you. You're my dad. When I do nothing, you lifted me up. You paid the price for me. And that is how Jesus does for us. And that's why we must, we must gravitate towards men who have had a covenantal relationship with the Lord. I like this verse. And next verse, if, if you go next verse, please. Like that's where chapter 43. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, I have redeemed you, I have called you by your name, you are mine. Think about it. Why is God favorable to Israel? Simple, because God found a man of covenant that was Jesus. And because of Jesus, he was blessing Israel. David was with his men in the battlefield. And when ish came against him, Abishai understood something that I'm talking about you today. Abishai looked at David and began to declare this. He saw, oh, giant wants to kill David. He goes for his aid and he kills that giant. He kills that giant for David. If I was in the place of Abishai, I would begin to look into David and say, man, he's no longer as anointed as he used to be once upon a time. My giants were no match for him. In five minutes, he would kill them. But now he's fighting for hours. He's getting weaker. Giant is getting stronger. And I don't think he is walking the way he used to walk with God. And I will question his integrity. I will question his walk with God. I will question everything. I will probably call the committee meeting and start thinking about whether this guy is even fit to be our king or no. Do we have to find a replacement because I killed him who he could not kill? I killed this giant whom David could not. So probably it is my time to be king now. But Abishai doesn't go doing all that thing. Rather, he submits to the covenant God has made with David. And I want to show you that in 2 Samuel chapter 21. Let's come back to the scripture. Verse number 17, please. And this is so important, my friends. If you get the gist of what I'm trying to tell you today, your walk and life will never be the same again. See what Bible says here. But Abishai, the son of zuraiah came to his aid, struck the Philistine and killed him. And then went and told men of David that David is no longer fit to be our king, so let's replace him with me. No? What did he say? Or what did the men of David say to him? They came to him and said, you shall go out no more with us to the battle, lest you quench the Lamb of Israel. My question, why are they still calling David as the Lamb of Israel when he is not burning bright? Because they understand it is not about the performance, it is not about the results, but it is about the covenant he has entered in. But you know the problem with the church today worldwide? is we gravitate towards the results and the performances of now. And so what happens? We have honor for the rising stars and we kind of forget those who have gone ahead of us. And my prayer to you and my prayer to Jesus is that Lord, Upper Room will champion in honoring those who have gone ahead of us. That we will know that we have entered into their labor. You know, Jesus told his disciples, he said, son, don't brag that you are the front Front people going in. No one thinks you have entered in someone else's labor. There is always someone who has gone ahead of you because of which you are set. And God is looking at you how you run so that you can become a setting for someone else. There is someone coming after you. Someone gone before you. And it's a relay. No one gets to get the job done by himself. It's a teamwork. But you know who does God brings in your line, in your lineage? People who obtain the covenant with the Lord. People who obtain the covenant. But before you enter into covenant, God looks at a heart which is loyal. That's why his eyes are looking all around the landscape to find one who is loyal unto him. Because when he finds one who is loyal for him, on his behalf, he will show himself stronger. In other words, before God enters into a covenant, there is a prerequisite, it is called loyalty. Turn to your neighbor and say, if you pass the loyalty test, covenant will be yours. I'm going to show you a small glimpse. There was a lady, a Moabite woman, her name was Ruth. And since the time she came in agreement with her mother-in-law. Anybody knows her name? Naomi, nice. Every, since the time she walk, started walking with Naomi in her life, miseries escalated. Everything started going down the hill. Sometimes walking with a man or a woman of covenant will cost you greatly. It costed her everything greatly. But you know what? Ruth was loyal to her in the miseries, in the problems. Oh, she, she, she had all the temptation to say, Naomi, something is wrong. Your husband died. My husband died. Her, you know, her co-sister's husband died. When something is wrong. She doesn't go with complaints to her, but faithfully, loyally continues to serve her without hope of getting anything better. And so Naomi turns to her and says, why are you still sticking with me? I don't have any ministry now. I used to have great ministry once upon a time, but now I'm doing nothing. And Oprah lives and goes, but Naomi passes that test of loyalty. And she continues to walk, and you know what? When they come back to Israel, not really knowing what future holds for them, Boaz looks at Naomi, and the first word Boaz says to Naomi is, I've heard of the loyalty you had concerning your mother-in-law. And because you are loyal, hey, listen, covenant is opening up for you. And that loyalty made room for the covenant and something glorious happened. She became great-grandmother of David in the right lineage of Jesus Christ. A Moabite coming in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Why? Because she was loyal. My friends, when we have lots of options, we have a tendency to drift away and not be loyal unto him and to the house God is calling us. But I want to encourage everyone Would you walk in the covenant? That's why God honors marriage covenant so much that he says your prayer will be hindered if you don't honor the marriage covenant. Because God doesn't take covenants lightly. It's important for us to take it strong. And I I look at this, that Abishai comes back and it's so beautiful that his man came to David and said this, you will no longer go because you are a man who have obtained the covenant of the Lord. You know Bible talks about how David had opened the covenant of mercy and due to lack of time we're not going to go there but you know what because of that covenant God continued to bless Israel Many years later, God still continued to bless Israel There were many kings, even bad kings But God would visit them and say For the sake of my servant David, I will bless your land And so many times, even in the days of Jesus Somebody would look at Jesus and say Oh son of David, have mercy on me And suddenly covenant would be activated for that man At the mention of the name of David God would release mercies My friend, I want you to know this. As God made covenant with the David, so God made covenant with Jesus. And those who call upon that name shall be saved. Why are we saved in the name of Jesus? A guy who came 2,000 years ago died and went back and he's not here to most of the world. But those who understand covenant, they know that they're never alone. Because his covenant calls him to be faithful and loyal to us. That's why Bible in 2 Timothy chapter 3 It says that even though when we are faithless He remains faithful Because he cannot deny himself Isn't it amazing that my faithfulness Doesn't cause God's covenant to waver But it is his, his covenant That strengthens my faith And walk in God It is not about that if I can do something right So that I can obtain from God No, he did something on the cross Because of which I receive So I just have to believe rightly So that I can live rightly Hallelujah, my friend, I want to encourage you with this message. Sometimes in church, we have tendency to judge our leadership, because in our opinion, they are not performing the way they used to once upon a time. I hear this a lot in my settings. I used to do a lot of crusades every month, in one year, 40 Crusades. So you can imagine. in last decade. I took the gospel to half a million people personally. And then when I started doing upper room, sitting in one room just praying with four or five people, some of my dear friends began to say to me, you have drifted away from your calling. And when I called it upper room, some of my precious friends came and told me, oh man, so dollar became more excited to you, you sold your calling? But in midst of all of this thing, what kept me going, God, you're in covenant with me, and my covenant is not based on what they say. It's based on what you say. And then there were some who came with major money to me, said, come partner with us. We know your ministry. We want you to end they And re- they were writing big checks to us, but they wanted to define the vision and the calling. And I said, buddy, I'm so sorry. I can't. I can't. I know what he promised. I know what he will bring. There's one burning desire in my heart. When Jesus comes, India will be given as a welcome gift to Jesus. And I understood one thing. I'm not the man who will do everything. I need sons like Abishai. And Upper Room India is going to be a place where it's, it's not a church. It's a labor ward. Sons will be born in that house. Sons will be born in that house. That's what we are building, that's what we are praying, that's what we are laboring towards. That This will be a house of sons. Sons, and God is raising up a generation of sons. Hallelujah. I want you to know this church, God is calling sons in the covenant. One day Miller asked me a personal question, and he said to me, I sense this loyalty from you concerning me. Why is it? You have so much of opportunity. Why don't you just experience those things because they are better for you? And I said to him, if those opportunities were not there, this is my answer for one thing. You remove every equation away. I walk with those men and walking with those men don't steer my hunger for the presence of God. But every time I spend time with you, it stirs my hunger for the presence of God. That's good enough reason for me to stick with you the rest of my life. I didn't come in Miller's life because I saw him on YouTube. I didn't come in Peter's life because one day I heard him preach, or there was Brave Heart. I didn't come in upper room because this is how we fight our battles. Even before they were online, we entered into a covenant. And that covenant was based on love, not on what we would achieve. So today when we have achieved something, why to dilute that love is my question to the body. Isn't it that Paul, after establishing a church, says, let brotherly love continue. One of the ways you continue in brotherly love is by participating into the covenant that Jesus has made with the bride. The night when he was betrayed, he broke the bread and he said, he, he took the cup and this is what he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. What does it mean? What does it mean to participate into the, into the Lord's table in remembrance of Him? Not in the remembrance of what He has done, but in remembrance of Him. My friends, I want you to know this. He loved me when I was a sinner. And He initiated that covenant long before I called Him Daddy. When my son was born, I didn't tell my son in the hospital, first call me daddy, then I will pay your bill. (laughs) My wife didn't look at that boy and said, first call me mommy, only then I will feed you. No. It wasn't based on what you can do for me. It was based on what I can do for you. And before even he called me daddy, I told the whole world, this is my son. Do you know, even before you could say, Jesus, I trust you, or I give my life to you, He looked at you and said, This one is mine. 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 And He gave His body for that. On the cross, He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Even before I said sorry, He released forgiveness. He didn't wait for me to come and first say I'm sorry so that I can forgive me. That's how the world forgives. He doesn't need my sorry to forgive me. He released his forgiveness so that I can be sorry. Let me explain to you what I'm trying to say. Uh, can I have you Jose for a second? Now imagine. Jose is very offended with me. And he's not willing to, to say sorry to me. So what should I do? I release forgiveness to him like Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive. So I said, Father, forgive him. He doesn't know. I release your forgiveness to him. So the moment I release forgiveness to him, imagine this is forgiveness. Who is this? Now go hold on to him from back. Just hold him, hold him, hold him. Okay. Now, now Jose is very upset with me. But wherever Jose goes... Wherever Jose goes. Wherever Jose goes. And then slowly, 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 what begins to happen is, anger, because this mercy, this forgiveness, anytime anger comes closer to him, he gets boom. Because he is now covered by forgiveness. And guess what happens? Sooner or later, this begins to penetrate his heart. Because if you hang around something too long, you will start smelling like that. So one fine day he wakes up. And he says, Oh man, I shouldn't have been doing like this. My heart shouldn't have been wrong. And he comes back and says, Sorry. Listen, that day I shouldn't say, Oh, I forgive you because you came. No, covenant does not require conditions of sorrow, uh, conditions of someone coming and saying sorry to activate it. Covenant activates it first, and the result of that activation brings them back. Do you understand? And this is what God likes to do with us. Thank you, guys. My prayer. My prayer is tonight, if you feel you're not living right with God, and if you feel like David, that my house is not walking with God, I want you to know though, even though your house is not right with God, he made a covenant with you. And tonight, come trusting that covenant. Come participating in that covenant. As we break the bread together, it might tell you that you're not worthy of it. Because Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he said, you must search yourself if you're, you know, you must search yourself before you participate into it. Actually, it is, a, it is a prerequisite. Search yourself before you participate into it. For what, you know? That you are doing in remembrance of Jesus. Most people come to the Lord's table and they think how bad they are and how good God is. The point is, you don't have to think about how you are. It is about who he is. Right. And as you come in more consciousness of Christ and this covenant, you will turn and become an Abishai generation. That you will live like Jesus. Let that covenant cause us to be a son. So this morning, I want to ask, how many of you want to become son in the kingdom? The life of son is marked by loyalty. By loyalty. By loyalty. And this is a call to loyalty. To the house of God that God has called you. To the leadership that God has called you. And to the high price that God has called you to, which is the cross of Jesus. From that, everything else will flourish. Shall we pray? Father, we want to thank you for this moment right now. Father, we thank you right now, Lord. Let's close our eyes and pray. When I look into the scripture passage, The Bible says that later on there were, there were three more giants mentioned in this place that men of David killed. Think about it. In total, five giants are mentioned in this chapter. One was Goliath and then four of his brothers. Do you remember David took five stones? He had a vision to kill up all those five giants. But God didn't allow him to kill all of them. God just said, okay, you just set up the precedence. And I will raise up sons under you who will kill them. So Jesus on the cross defeats every enemy. And then God says to him, son, like David. After him, his mighty men killed. So I want to do the same thing. After you, your mighty men, which is church, will destroy the works of enemy. And so, I want you to come and sit with me on the throne till I make your enemy your footstool. How is he making when we go out and bring people back in the home? So as ushers are bringing here the the emblems of love, I call them. And if if you're partaking into this, we call it Lord's Supper. Take it, man. And no, this is how you entered into covenant. His blood, His body. And we need to recognize His body while we participate into it, which is church. What is church? The DNA of Christ. Tangible, visible, operational on the planet. So if anybody says he loves Jesus and doesn't love a believer, a fellow believer, he is lying. Because if you love Jesus... You have to love his body. One day I was loving and kissing my son and Lord said to me, what are you doing? I said, I'm kissing my son. I'm loving on him. He said, his body, his spirit or his soul. I said, his body. He said, why don't you do it with my body? From that time I understood some things in my life. My friends, this is a holy moment where God is calling sons to this beautiful table, and his banner over us is love. Can we do that? That song. He called me to his banqueting table, and his banner over us is love. It's an old song, but as we come into that covenant, yes. I'm not saying that we need to have CEO mentality, a top-down leadership mentality. But what I'm trying to say is. Cultivating loyal heart towards the leaders God has called us. Because from that loyalty. Loyalty is a magnet that attracts God's attention to your life. And no matter where you are. Like Alicia was a nobody. But his loyalty to Elijah set him on a pedestal to receive double portion. My friends. Disciples. Became loyal to Jesus till did death. That. That's why their life continues to speak to us even today. And as you are participating in this. Come into that covenant. Come into that covenant. It's all about Jesus. You are his body. You're his body. He is head. Body thinks or head thinks? Does my body thinks or does my head thinks? How about you? Is it your body that thinks or is it your head that thinks? Head, right? Your mind, your head. I want you to understand Jesus is the head. Let him do all the thinking you enjoy staying connected. That's the beauty about being his body. And we are the members of the same body. And because we are the members of the same body, I want to urge you, sometime you eat... And while you are eating, you know, sometimes you bite your own tongue with your teeth. Has that ever happened to you? Has that ever happened? Yeah. Why? Because tongue was too close to teeth. And sometimes it happens, right? Is, this drift has happened, this pain has happened because of the functions of the organ. It wasn't intentional, but it was because of the function. But how many of you would take a hammer and start hitting that teeth or that tooth? No one does that. Why? Because the body understands. The tongue doesn't take revenge and start cursing these teeth. (laughs) Why do we do that in body? If we understand we are one body, it's okay sometimes pain, cross, misunderstanding, it's okay. But can we still be committed and commissioned to love? That single-heartedness. I am committed and loyal to love no matter what. Like Daniel who was thrown in the lion's den... And the next day morning, king comes and he says, Oh, Daniel, has your God kept you alive? And Daniel says, Long live my king. Hey, Daniel, are you crazy? He gave you a death sentence. Why are you praying for long life for him? He will kill many more. He said, Forget about it. I'm committed for love. He's doing what is in his heart. I'm doing what is in my heart. Wow. How many of us will look at our bosses if they fire us and say, Long live my friend. Wow. We don't. But those who know their covenant, they can be like Abraham, never scared of wilderness. And they know, wherever I go, rivers follow. That they can know like David, even if I am walking in the caves of Adulam, God is with me and with me you are safe. Why? Because I have made a covenant with the Lord. They can be like Paul going through the midst of the shipwreck and in the shipwreck says, don't worry, nobody will die because I, I am a man of covenant and we are going to go to Rome. Yeah. And this is not the final situation for our life. Glorious days are ahead. This is a, this is a painful moment, but we are in it together. And that is what is the family. So would you all stand up with me as we celebrate this covenant with the Lord and walk in his presence, walk in his purpose. Go love on someone. Go find someone with whom you have been really upset, you didn't understand it, but go love that person.